So as we continue our uh, series on Ephesians, uh, I want to give you permission to actually look behind you at the wall back there, right above the doors. It says this, Trinity Church will be a family of believers equipped and engaged to share the love of Christ on a world desperately needing him. We talk about the grace effect, how grace affects everything. I think it's a huge reminder as we go through this book of Ephesians to think about how the fact is that God wants Trinity Church to take the grace and affect every single thing in the world around you, every single person around you, every single part of your life should be affected by the grace of God. Uh, and we see uh, in that mission statement and, and vision statement and also in the words of Ephesians that that's exactly what's supposed to happen. All right, so how many of you know what today is? Groundhog Day, okay? But it's also Super Bowl Sunday, okay? Super Bowl Sunday. You're going to hear me talk about this because my Chiefs are playing today, okay? <laughs> uh, by the way, I don't know if you noticed that the snack bar out there it was actually decorated in Chiefs colors. had nothing to do with me, okay? Uh, but I was looking at this. Do you realize that today, 100 million people in the United States alone are going to watch this one game? They estimate 100 million people are going to watch this one thing. And here's the thing. Way over half of them don't even care about the game, right? They're watching it for the commercials. Some of you may be in that boat as well. Um, but as I was looking at this, you know, this is one of the biggest sports celebrations. We have other huge sports celebrations that come, the World Cup, uh, the Olympics, things like that. But these major sports celebrations are, 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 are just that. They're celebrations, aren't they? And uh, when I was looking at this logo, it actually uh, brought something to mind uh, that we went over a couple weeks ago here in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and it's from Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, which is what we just celebrated with communion, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive with Christ. So see there, we've changed the word now. It's alive. We got some value out of the Super Bowl this morning. Uh, God has made us alive in Christ for those who have faith in him. Um, all right, well, moving on from that, okay? Speaking of entertainment, uh, how many of you in here have Netflix at your house? How many of you, okay? Um, I'm taking a parenting class uh, with Sarah, uh, the Abby, and uh, No Heart Left Behind is leading for us here on Tuesday nights. And this is my method of parenting, okay? Netflix. You just put on Netflix, you let the kids watch it. No, that's not true, although we do let them. Um, but when you think about Netflix, all of us have this, a lot of us have this, there's a lot of things we like to watch. And there's something that I've noticed that Sarah and I end up spending a lot of time watching. Um, and actually, I started scrolling through the menu on Netflix this week just to get an idea of it. And there are a whole lot of, of mystery shows on Netflix, whether it's crime mystery, whether it's uh, treasure hunting mysteries, just all these different shows about mysteries. Because a mystery is something you can't figure out, something you want to figure out, and you're just trying to figure it out. And, and I, what I could not believe is the percentage, I would say it's over 50% of the shows on Netflix are something about trying to solve some kind of mystery. Well, today in our passage... I'm not going to be in Netflix. I'm not going to show you Netflix to babysit you this morning. Um, in our passage today, Paul talks about a mystery. And he says, I want to tell you about this mystery. In fact, he talked about it last week too. But here's the good news about this mystery. A lot of times when we think about mystery in a show that we're watching, or, or you say, well, that's mysterious, that means it's something that you can't really figure out. You'll never get the final answer on it. Um, but when Paul says, I want to tell you about this mystery... 
He's not talking about something we can't figure out. He's talking about something that in past times was unknown, but now God has made known to us. It's not a mystery anymore. It's a solved thing, and it is good news. Good news. It's what we call the gospel. So I want us this morning to look at this mystery. I want us to realize that although this is something incredibly significant in Paul's day and time, it's also incredibly significant for us today as we look at, at what he's talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. We're actually going to be going through the entire chapter today. We're going to take it in chunks though. So we're not going to read the entire thing. We're going to start off with the first six verses. So let's, uh, if you want to follow along in your screens or in your Bibles, let's read Ephesians chapter 3. Or listen as I read Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. It says this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been made known and revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. You see, what we see in this passage is because this mystery is revealed, this mystery is revealed, God's grace is now unleashed to affect not just the people in Paul's day and time, but people throughout history, and especially this morning as we sit here together, those of us who are here at Trinity Church. So we see in these first six verses, Paul says there's a mystery, but guess what? It's been revealed. The mystery has been revealed. Um, in chapter 2, last half of chapter 2, uh, Miguel talked about this last week in his sermon called Purple Church. You might want to listen to that if you haven't gotten a chance to. But basically, uh, Miguel talked about this fact that, that God says the church is this amazing mixture of all kinds of people. You know, previously, before Christ came, Jews and Gentiles wanted nothing to do with each other. But Paul comes along and says that after the coming of Jesus Christ, God has united the two into one church, uh, and he has mixed them together. And now we have a new thing, a new humanity, which is the dwelling place for God. Uh, chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 17, it says, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those of you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So that's the secret. That's the revelation that Paul mentions here in chapter 3. He says, I just told you about this in chapter 2. It's that the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We might hear this, and you might have heard it last week. You might hear the verses again today, and you're saying, okay, good, good deal. We've moved on from that. The Gentiles are in. But it's impossible for us to understand how revolutionary what Paul was saying here is. It's just incredible. In the minds of the people that were hearing this for the first time, they were saying, wait, so you're saying Jews and Gentiles are equal? Like, God doesn't like me a little better than them because they're not like me? Paul says, no, the mystery has been revealed. Anyone can have access to God through Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what country you're from. Doesn't matter who your parents are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Anybody 
can have access to Jesus Christ. That's the mystery that has been now fully revealed. Galatians 3, 28. There is therefore neither Greek nor Jew, nor is there slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is a life-changing revelation. God says that the love I want to show you is available for anyone. doesn't matter what nation you're from. doesn't matter your background. It's available to anyone. It's a shocking revelation. Now, what we have to realize is, is, is before Paul kind of explains this to people and says, from Scripture, this is what God wants to happen, um, they didn't understand it. Again, the idea of a mystery is they were wandering around in the dark. And when you're in the dark, what do you see? Nothing. If you think about it, have you ever been in like a hotel room, a place where you're not familiar with or, or some new house or a new room and you get up in the middle of the night and you stumble around and knock stuff over and run into things and uh, you don't know what's going on until you turn on the light. Then you can see clearly what's happening. And that's what Paul says here in these first six verses is he says, the light has come on now, people. You can see clearly that Jesus came for all people. For all people. The light comes on, not only figuratively, but literally for them. So the mystery has been revealed. What I would say our takeaway from this is, is Paul is again saying, you are invited to join this family. Uh, Back in chapter 2, he said, it's by grace you are saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. God says you are invited to come into this family. All you have to have is faith. And that is completely relying on me, trusting that I am the one who forgives your sins. You are invited to join this family. Embrace this family. This is good news for everyone. It was good news for Paul, who calls himself a prisoner, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. It was good news for Gentiles who previously were on the outside. It's good news for the Jewish people. And it's good news for you and for me. Join this family. Embrace the family. If you've already joined it, embrace the family of God. So we see, first of all, that the mystery is revealed. But then God says the next part of his plan to unleash his grace is he gives to Paul what he calls the ministry. The ministry of proclamation. The ministry of proclamation. And you're sitting here in church this morning. You're like, wow, Marcus, if there was ever a churchy phrase you could use, let's talk about the ministry of proclamation. What in the world are we talking about here? Why does Paul say, I have this ministry of proclamation? And I think we'll see this in verses 7 through 13. So follow along as I read these verses. Uh, they're on the screen or you can follow in your Bible. Uh, so Ephesians 3, 7 through 13, talking about the ministry of proclamation. It says this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that the church through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, 
in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. So again, what we have here is Paul says, I have this ministry that God has given to me, and it is to proclaim. What I want us to do is unpack what it means for Paul to do that, because I've got news for you this morning. If you're a part of the church, the task, the ministry that God gave to Paul is the same task that he gives to you and to me. And that is to proclaim it. So we want to unpack what it looked like for Paul and then unpack what it looks like for us as well. So first of all, what we see, though, is Paul says, I am proclaiming the gospel of grace. Look at verse eight. I I love this in verse eight. Uh, Paul says uh, to me, although I am the very least of all the saints, although I'm the very least of all the saints, Paul can't get past the gospel in his own life. He calls himself the least of all the saints. If you have NIV, it might say, uh, I think it says less than the least. I'm less than the least of all the saints. Really what, what Paul is saying, it's almost hard to translate what he's saying because he's like, I'm leaster than the leastest of the least. Like he just can't get the right words out because he's trying to make a point of, I am the least of all. And we sit there and look at him and we say, Paul, you wrote half of the New Testament, maybe 20% of the Bible. How could you call yourself the least of all these? I think Paul is saying, I never want to forget who I was before Christ saved me. I never want to forget where I've come from and who I am apart from Christ. And I would encourage you the same thing. Think back on who you were or what you would be without Christ in your life. You would be the least of the least. And yet Paul says, even though I'm the least of the least, God has given me the job of of proclaiming the gospel of grace. And that's what grace is. It's given to people who don't deserve it. God's forgiveness, God's love. His care, his eternal life is given to the people who deserve it the least. You might be sitting here saying, well, I kind of deserve it, though. I'm a pretty good person. God says no one can deserve it. I love what, if you look at this, uh, I kind of highlighted a couple words in this this verse. Uh, So Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. Some of your Bibles say, of this gospel, I was made a servant. Um, I love that word servant. It's, it's really, it's kind of the same word we actually get the word deacon from. It's this idea, Paul says that God has given me something to do. He's given me a service to perform. And what is that? It's to preach. Look at that word preach. Uh, when you see the word preach, you might think, oh, that's, uh, that's what Marcus does. He's the pastor here at church. Um, and he's the, he's the preacher. Um, but I want to tell you that this word preach is not just talking about uh, preaching a sermon in front of people. It's really the idea of, uh, of sharing the good news, proclaiming the good news. It's really the word that uh, can be translated to announce good news. And so when you go out and have a conversation with somebody and tell them about what Jesus has done in your life, explain to them what Jesus can do in their life, you are preaching the good news. You are proclaiming the good news. That is this, the ministry of proclamation. It's something that God calls every Christian to do. Announce to people the good news. You know, we're in a day and time when, when the news is constantly giving us announcements, right? Some of you probably have your phones programmed so that when a news headline comes out, it pops up on your phone and you see, oh, announcement, uh, you know, my stock's dropped today or whatever. Or whatever it might be, you have your, your notification set for 
So a lot of times when an announcement is made, we think, oh, that's just another announcement. But let me tell you something. The gospel is not just another announcement. This is a declaration from God that people who are broken can be made whole again for all eternity. And they don't have to pay anything. The price has been paid. And so God says, this is something that I've called Paul to preach, to announce. It's something I've called all of you to preach and to announce. Another thing I want to kind of walk through is we let's unpack. Um, Paul says, you have the same task as I do to proclaim this good news. But in verses 8 and 9, he kind of develops it a little further. Look in verse 8. You see it says uh, he's given this task to preach. And that's kind of focusing on announcing this good news. But then you get to verse 9, it says, and to bring to light for everyone. And so Paul says, I'm announcing some good news, but I'm also, the focus in verse 9 is a little more on the condition of the people I'm talking to. I don't want to forget their condition. If I'm bringing to light, what does that mean about them? That means they are in darkness. We are surrounded by a world of people, people who don't know Jesus, who are living in darkness, uh, pursuing things that will never satisfy them. And God says, I want you to bring to light to them this good news, the gospel. Look at this, uh, a couple other phrases in here. In verse 8, Paul says, I'm called to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We've talked a lot about the riches over the last week. All the benefits of knowing Christ. The riches of what he offers you, including eternal life and forgiveness. But then in verse 9, he says, I'm going to bring to light what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages, which we just said, which we learned last week, the mystery is the church. So God says, uh, I want you to focus on the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, but just as important, how does that come about? It comes about through the church. People are going to know me and come to know me through the church, of which Trinity Church is a part, of which you are a part. God says, I want to use the church to proclaim this. Uh, One more thing we want to highlight here. Uh, It says in verse 8, I'm called to preach to the Gentiles, so these people who are not like me. But in verse 9, then it says to bring to light for everyone, not just the Gentiles, but Jews, Gentiles, everyone. Again, this is good news for Gentiles, but it's really good news for everyone. You know, Paul expounds on this even more if you want to look at uh, Romans chapter 2 and 3. there he addresses the issue with, with the Jewish people. He says, you think you're good enough uh, to have favor with God. Well, guess what? You're not. Everyone needs Jesus. No matter your background, no matter if you're a church person, you think you've grown up in church and done all the right things and dotted all the I's and crossed the T's, God says, you are not good enough. The only thing that makes you good enough is the blood of Jesus Christ. You must trust him alone. So this is good news for both sinners and saints. Good news for all of us. So the ministry of proclamation talks about the gospel of grace. And we have to remember that Paul's task is our task. But then the other thing we have to realize from verses 10 through 13 is that this happens through the church. It happens through the church. It says, so that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, it's not just people on earth, but it's really all the forces 
of evil, the forces of good, will notice when the church is out there proclaiming God's love and people are coming to know him. God says it is through the church that this mystery will be revealed. It is through the church that his grace will be unleashed. You, know, you look at this picture. It's just a little country church, right? Um, you could look at our church. You could walk outside and look at it and say, okay, that's Trinity Church. And you look at a little church and you say, well, that's not much to look at. What, what could possibly happen through that church? But what we have to realize when we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the wisdom of God might be made known. The church is God's plan A. And there is no plan B. God says, my gospel, my good news, Jesus Christ is going to be proclaimed through the church. There's no other plan. It has to happen through the church, in the church, and by the church. And so, brothers and sisters, we are gathered together as a church family with this task. You know, John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians, says that the church is central in the book of Ephesians. He says the church is especially central in this passage, and he says it's central in history. If you think about it, it says that... um, Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. So in other words, this has always been a part of God's plan for history. You know, secular historians look at history and they look at at rulers and dictators and the rise and fall of empires and, and boundaries and borders and things like that. But God says if you look at history through a Christian perspective, you see that Christ affects everything. Christ has affected Everything, And we don't look at many rulers, we look at the ruler and realize that he is the one who makes sense out of it all. So it's central to history, it's central to God's plan. The church is central to the gospel. As we saw in chapter 2, God says the gospel um, creates this new family, this new household of God, this purple church, as Miguel called it. So central to the gospel that all people can now come to God through Jesus Christ And that is revealed through the church. And it's also central to Christian living. The church is the place where we are called to live life with one another, to have a community, to be a family full of families who live out the gospel together. Paul says, uh, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This affected Paul so much personally that he was willing to suffer for it. So the church is central to history, central to the gospel, and central to Christian living. What we see here is that the ministry of proclamation is the gospel of grace. It's shared through the church. And what I want us to realize this morning is that I think what God tells us in this passage and in passages like this is that we must share what we've been given. We must share what we've been given Here's a little something to help you understand that. Maybe you've seen some of these pictures this week. Does everybody know what this is a picture of? Uh, in China, the, the coronavirus is going around. Uh, this is a picture in Wu, uh, Wuhan, China. And these are frightening pictures, right? Everyone's walking around with masks. This pandemic is spreading. Tens of thousands of people are already infected. In fact, some of you may be getting nervous as I talk about it this morning. It's something to be afraid of. But what if I were to tell you that good news, we've developed a vaccine for it. We've got enough doses for everyone in here. In fact, uh, we've got 
if you go over to the to the warehouse next door, Reach Global Crisis Response, we've got enough to actually cover the entire country. So after service, we're going to line up over there and get our shots. And as soon as we all get our shots, let's close the doors and don't tell anybody. Okay? Let's keep it to ourselves because we could probably sell it. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? If that was really true. If we had the cure for this disease that's killing off hundreds of people and we said we're not going to tell anybody about it, that'd be awful. And God says the same thing would be true if, for instance, God saved you from your sins, set you free from the things that would destroy you for eternity, gave it to you freely, an abundance, more than you could possibly use on your own. And he says, I want you to go out and share that with people. That's what he wants us to do. Because brothers and sisters, humans are sick. We saw that in chapter 2. We are sick and dying. In fact, we are dead apart from Christ. And he gives us the cure. It's his grace. And he says, I want to unleash that grace through you, through my church, so that you go out and share that with the people around you. Share the cure with the people you have. So that brings up the question. The ministry is pro- the mystery has been revealed. The ministry is to proclaim this thing that is called the gospel. But we have to ask the question, how will this happen? How can we possibly tell the entire world? And the end of this chapter has such a beautiful picture, and that's our third point for this morning, is the means. And that would be God's power. The means by which this happens is God's power. And I would say that God's power is the key. It's the essential ingredient. It's the the method that God wants to use to help us uh, accomplish his will. And so how do we connect to this power? How do you as an individual connect to this power so that you can accomplish this thing that God has asked you to do? And that's what these last verses kind of reveal to us, uh, verses 14 through 19. And what you'll see here is we're going to read these verses, but just notice this. Paul is praying in these verses. In fact, he gets back to doing what he started out to do in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of your, you Gentiles, and then a lot of your Bibles probably have a dash in it, right? Like he's interrupting himself. And he goes on this whole rabbit trail that we've just talked about, about the ministry of proclamation, about the mystery. And then finally, in verse 14, he comes back to what he was about to tell us. Okay, He says, for this reason, in verse 14, and he, and he starts to pray. So let's look at what he says in this prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so what we have to realize is the means by which God wants to accomplish all this is through his power and his power alone. Because you see, some of us may get to the point where we say, well, I know it's God's power that saves me. He saved me. It wasn't me. I know that. But because I'm so amazing, I'm going to go out and tell people about Jesus. I'm going to go out and do amazing mission work. I'm going to go out and change the world. And God says, hold on. That's not the way it works. 
The only way you're going to accomplish this is if you are connected to my power. If you're connected to my power. And how does that look? Um, We are connected to this power, first of all, because God is present in our lives. It's a powerful presence that we have in verses 14 through 17. Verse 14, it says, uh, or skipping ahead to uh, verse 16, it says, According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his spirit and your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you have trusted Christ, if you put your faith in him, he lives inside you. And that word dwell is not the same word that you would use if you're talking about going camping and setting up a tent or putting up a trailer for a while. This is this is the word like take up residence permanently, okay? And that's the word that Paul chooses here because he wants you to know that if you have placed your faith in Christ, then Jesus has come to dwell inside you through his Holy Spirit. God lives inside you. So we are connected to his power because he is present in our lives. That's the first thing you have to realize from this prayer for God's, for God's power is Paul is saying, if you have trusted him, then he lives in your heart by faith. God lives in you. He's with you. Let me show you a picture. This is a, this is a Case International 7110, okay? This was the nicest tractor my dad bought when I was, uh, I think, in high school. Uh, except we didn't have windows in ours, believe it or not. No air conditioning. So uh, so he bought this tractor. And let me tell you, tractors are powerful, right? My brothers still run a farm. And it takes two men now to do what probably 100 or 200 farmers did 100 years ago. Because of things like this tractor. Incredible power. Let me show you another picture of this tractor. There's no engine, is, is there? <laughs> the engine's missing. Guess what? There's no power. This tractor is not going to be able to do any kind of work because there's no engine present within it. And that's the same thing with us. If God's presence is not connected to us, we can do nothing. John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to cultivate God's presence in our lives cultivate God's presence in our lives. So it's a powerful presence we see. God says, I am with you. And, and, and Jesus says, one of his last words to his disciples in Matthew 28, 20 is, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. God says, I am with you. How many times in scripture does God say, I am with you? That is the source of our power. And we must remember that. And we depend on it through prayer. By the way, Paul praying this prayer, um, is something we really need to remember is think about how much powerful, how many powerful things Paul was able to do. And yet he's still asking God for his power, asking God to pour his power out on other people because Paul recognizes we must continually depend on him. Prayer. I've said this before. I'll say this many times. Prayer is our declaration of dependence. You know, as Americans, we want to talk about the declaration of independence, how we can do it on our own. When it comes to our relationship with Christ, we must give the declaration of dependence on a regular basis, constantly actually, telling God, I must depend on you. I know it's through you that I am able to do all things. The second thing there is the powerful love. God says we connect to his power through his love. And we talked about this a few weeks ago also. First of all, you must experience God's love and then you can share what you've experienced um, verse 
18, it says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. How wide, how deep, how tall, how long is God's love? It's this big. When when Jesus stretched out his arms, he said, this is how wide my love is. And if you look at the cross, you see that it connects God and humans. God says, I have sent my son Jesus down to make a connection between us. That's how deep my love is for, for you. I was willing to send my son who willingly died in your place. That's how deep and wide his love is. You know, it may sound crazy, but God's love can change the world. God's love will change the world one life at a time. And then the last thing here in this category of the means of God's power is that God says, I want you to have powerful growth in your life. We connect to God's power through powerful growth. God wants us to grow spiritually. He wants us to be filled. It says filled up to all the fullness of God. That is language that God uses frequently in Scripture to talk about spiritual maturity. He wants us to be continually growing and being filled up with more and more of his knowledge and his word and his, and his spirit. So this morning, I would ask you this. Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow with Christ? Do you want to grow closer to him so that you can serve him? Do you want God's grace to be unleashed in your life? Do you want God's grace to be unleashed through your life to the people around you? Well, then I would tell you that I think this language of growth says that God wants you to plant those seeds, plant the seeds and depend on him. Depend on his power to bring about true growth in your life. You know, this, this passage always makes me think, what an amazing, powerful God we serve. It's through him that we can do amazing things. It, it brings up the song in my mind when, when I was a kid. I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, but it is, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There is nothing my God cannot do. And I think then they tack on the words, for you. But I would say... There's nothing my God cannot do through you. I think that's the message of Ephesians 3. He says, God wants to do great things through this church. And really, what does that leave us with? That brings us to a place of worship. And that's what I'm going to throw on the screen now is is the last two verses of this chapter. Uh, And we're going to actually end with this with prayer. I'm going to read it first and then then we'll pray it. But it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, you know, this is where I think we end this passage is with worship, recognizing that it is only through God that we can do this. And Paul just bursts forth in this little song, uh, and that's what we want to do is end our time together by praying these words on behalf of you and on behalf of Trinity Church. So if you will, bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your son. Now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.